for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I've tried to make an effort in this podcast to include alumni from all different years and decades. Uh, Although I have to say, the mid-90s, particularly the class of 95, has had so many all-stars, it's hard to do this podcast without including so many of them, one of which joins us today, Major Market, Mark Verone, joins us from Chicago. Good afternoon, sir. Hey, Jag. Great to be here. You are part of one of the best classes in the station's history, just in terms of active alumni and professional success. Take me back to the beginning, getting to Syracuse and getting involved with the station. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, it's interesting (laughs) because... I'm what they would call on campus a townie, right? So I grew up in East Syracuse, went to East Syracuse Manoa High School, and I was that local nerdy kid that was obsessed with radio, TV, media, and I was a member of the uh, AV club. Um, but I grew up listening to Z89 and 93Q and 184FM, and I wasn't one of those kids that was exposed to major market radio like a lot of our colleagues and friends that are coming you know, to Syracuse from the tri-state area or bigger media markets. So mm-hmm. I actually remember Z89 used to work with Warland Disc Sound years ago. Uh, It was a local DJ company and they used to do dances at the high schools and they used to come out to ESM when I was in high school. And instead of dancing, uh, I was hanging around the DJ booth. So (laughs) you're in good company on this podcast, Mark. Yeah, exactly. I'm one of those people, right? So But it's actually funny because I also had another encounter with an alum when I was a kid. I was still um, in middle school and um, Ed Lacombe was running production for WFBL in Syracuse. And my parents did some advertising on a local Italian radio show. And I got to voice a spot for them when I was a kid. And Ed was the guy recording me. And no kidding. Little did I know that later I would actually work with Ed at Hot 107.9 and become a fellow alum. So, you know, my core focus in high school was how do I get into Newhouse and work at Z89? <laughs> so you're in high school. You must have been listening to some of our alumni before you even got there. I was. You know, it's funny. I, Jimmy Z, I, I believe, was one of the guys I remember listening to. But, you know, I wasn't the best you know student in high school. So I graduated <laughs> in 91. And I ended up at the radio and TV program at SUNY uh, OCC because I couldn't get into Syracuse as a freshman. So I spent my freshman year on the other hill, the Onondaga Hill. Okay. Working at WOCC, which was the campus radio station for Onondaga Community College. But I was dating a fellow uh, Z89 alum at the time. She started working at uh, WGPZ as a freshman. So I would actually hang out for my freshman year, and I got to meet a whole bunch of people who eventually became some of my closest friends and colleagues. You know, I kicked butt at OCC, got a really good GPA, got in a new house, passed the grammar punctuation spelling exam. Oh, the GPS. I don't even know if they give that out anymore, but I passed it. And in the fall of 92, I started and joined the station as a sophomore transfer student. And that's how I became, you know, part of the JPZ team. I love the stories of folks who grew up in Syracuse, and there are several of you that we have talked to and are going to talk to on this podcast. Just knowing what an imprint the station had in the market from people who grew up there before they even set foot on the Syracuse campus. Yeah, and there are several of us, too. I mean, like Dan Austin's a great friend of mine, also local, started working at the station, I think, when he was like 14 or 15 or something. It was, it was, he was still in school. Yeah. So tell me what you did once you got to the station as a sophomore, Mark. There's an old saying All I really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Well, all I needed to really know about radio, I learned not in a traditional classroom, but I learned at WJPZ from my 
fellow students and alums. So my experience in the 90s was, I think it was one of the best times to be at Syracuse. I'm also convinced the 90s was one of the greatest musical decades of our time. I won't go into why, but there was so much great music that came out in the 90s. <laughs> um, but the thing I loved about Z89 is it's a group of college kids that were trying to emulate a commercial top 40 you know, urban slant leaning, you know, contemporary hit music station. And even though we were non-commercial, we were scrappy. We didn't let the non-com thing get in our way. You know, it was really impressive too, is like the number of artists that would stop into this little college radio station in Syracuse when they were playing gigs. Sometimes they didn't even play in Syracuse, but they would go out of their way, take a detour, come into our studios in many cases, because we were the ones breaking their music in the market. Other yeah. stations weren't playing their music. So I really loved that that aspect of it, but I really enjoyed the freedom to experiment, make mistakes and learn from each other. That that was like the one time I think in my career that you could, you know, make a mistake, recover from it and learn. Not that you can't make mistakes, you know, in a major market or you're a broadcaster out in the marketplace because they still do to this day, but it's more forgiving in that student kind of safe place environment. Thing is, is you learn to move past it and do not dwell on it. You know, it's like the show must go on. So like you fall down, you get yourself back up and you move on. So besides on air, what else did you do at the station? So I was heavily involved with production and working closely with, with the marketing team. One of the big things that we did is we did a, a shift from Brian James, who was that iconic voice, and we moved over to um, a, another voice uh, by, by the name of Mitch. Uh, I forget his last name, but Mitch had this amazing urban sounding voice that we moved to. And so that, that was a big thing, like reimaging the station was, was a lot of fun. And then in 92, 93, we, we updated the logo. At the time, it was the old black and white and red kind of logo with the lines. And then we moved to a, a new logo that was kind of more 90s colors. It was it was turquoise and kind of like that hot pink color. And with that came a bumper sticker promotion and a contest with Coca-Cola. And so we, we gave away a car in 1993. Mm -hmm. It was a brand new 1993 Chevrolet Geo Tracker. And at the time, that was a big deal for us. I mean, like, I, I'm not going to bore you with the details of how the Geo Tracker was given away because I know Goofy Betty and, and Kid Michael Rock and Jeannie Shad and Tony Renda can tell you about the contest winner and all the details there. But I really, what was fun about that was the behind the scenes part of piecing that together, working as a team to actually go out and build a sponsorship, pull it together. Like, this is a bunch of college kids going to a car dealership and working with a brand like Chevrolet on a national level and working cohesively to build a promotion together, that kind of stuff happens at commercial radio stations, not non-commercial stations. So at that time, uh, Tina Mussolino, now Perkins, um, who's also Professor Perkins at, at the New That's House right. School, uh, she was the production director. And we had to come up with this kick-ass promo. And the theme was Just Stick It. <laughs> it was the Summer Slammer Jam. And because we're resourceful, a lot of the sound effects and vocal effects processing that we needed, we had to borrow that. And we and, and I use the word borrow with quotes around it because <laughs> a lot of us worked at 184 FM up the road part time. We were part timers over there. And New City had a ton of equipment. Uh, their production facilities were outstanding. So a lot of the special effects on that promo came from New City. Thank you very much, uh, New City now 
uh, iHeart. I think we're past the statute of limitations here 25 years later. Yeah, and okay. I'm sure we weren't the only ones that did that. But you know, just, just those <laughs> vocal effects that we, you know, we just didn't have that capability at Z89. Now I'm sure we have much better uh, ways of doing things digitally. But back then we were doing carts and tapes and, you know, splicing things together manually. Um, the voices on that promo, I mean, you had J.D. Redman, uh, Tina, myself, Ed Brundage, Jumpin' John Petrosillo, uh, James Leatherman. We all came together and created this amazing promo. All right, I know you've got it sitting there, Mark. Let's hear it. Just stick it. The summer's the music's jamming. 89.1 FM. The station slamming. Summer, 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 summer slammer jam. Just stick it. And win. Get your hands on the all-new Z89 Coca-Cola bumper sticker. Stick it on your car, your bike, your boat, your rollerblades, your mom, your face. When a Z89 prize authority finds you, you'll get a prize patrol pack filled with a Coca-Cola t-shirt, tickets to the Syracuse Chiefs, lunch at Mustard's, and passes to Song Mountain and Spinning Wheel Sports Complex. Plus, you'll be registered for the Getaway Car of Summer, a brand new 1993 Chevrolet Geo Tracker. The all-new, all-cool Z89 Coca-Cola bumper sticker from the Fear Agency and Coca-Cola. This summer, win with the sticker and stick with the winner. Z89. Oh, that is awesome. I love that. That's fantastic. So now, here's the best part. We submitted that promo to the National Association of College Broadcasters, and I believe the NACB is now defunct. There's another organization for college broadcasters these days, but we won Best Creative Production in 1993 at the NACB for the promo that we created to give away a car. Now, can you imagine a college <laughs> radio station that gave away trips and cars and cash? It was almost unheard of, especially in the 90s. Even in today, I don't know of a lot of stations that do that. You know, I remember we piled into Tony Renda's car and we drove out to uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and we went to the mm-hmm. Brown University campus where the NACB was hosting their annual conference. I think Tony got a speeding ticket at some point, and I'm not sure if it was on the way there or the way back, but I remember (laughs) we got pulled over, but we were so excited it didn't matter. Right. And then the awards show was being hosted by Bill Maher. Okay. This was before Bill Maher was a household name. He was about to become huge, but he had just started at Comedy Central with uh, Politically Incorrect. So here we are in the audience waiting for our category in the envelope, and they mention our name, and they play our promo, and it sounds great, and everyone's cheering. But the funniest part was when we got up to accept the award, we all forgot got the instructions we got you know they gave all the nominees instructions like oh when you come up to the stage make sure you go enter from this side (laughs) and we entered the wrong side so bill had a field day making fun of us for not following instructions but we didn't care we won this incredible award i can picture it now you college kids are giving away a car and cash on the air and 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 you can't even walk up the right side of the stage (laughs) it was monumental so that was my first introduction ever to bill maher and probably my last It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence... This is WJPZ at 50. So you have had a fascinating career in your time since JPZ. You've had a lot of different roles in a lot of different places. I hope you can kind of walk us through this uh, for those who don't know you as well. And take me through what you did after graduation. 
Yeah. So after graduation, you know, I spent 10 years in radio uh, and broadcast professionally. So after graduation, 95 through 2005, and then I kind of eventually after 2005, I went into the digital side. But after college, I moved to New York City. I worked for Bill Hogan. He was the former head of Westwood One Radio. Um, he was working for John Kluge at a company called Metromedia International, and we made investments in radio stations in Eastern Europe and Russia. I actually crossed paths a little bit with Hal Rude during this time because Hal was also doing stuff internationally. And so we, we had some interactions there. That was a lot of fun. We would bring people over to New York City. We'd train them, teach them how to do broadcasting, you know, in a more objective way than they probably had been used to. <laughs> and the Russians had told them, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, like we had to teach people how to write stories objectively because under the Soviet Union, under communism, they might write a story about uh, a recall on tires. And that, that recall on tires would have been just like a normal thing here. But they would say, due to the substandard American quality of tire production, oh. you know, so they'd rewrite the story. So we had to teach them that. We also blew up the uh, grid in Moscow when we did a cash contest. Really? Yeah. We had to bring in AT&T consultants. Because unlike in the United States, where we have a different exchange for radio stations, all radio stations have their own exchange in every market. And it was set up that way because of the volume of calls that would come into radio stations. So radio stations like always have their own prefix that's unique to them and other companies or other places can't use that. Growing up in Boston, every radio system was area code 617-931, blah, 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 blah. So that, okay, yeah. So when you think about that, that whole logic happened a long time ago to handle the volume of traffic coming in. We had to help Moscow literally rebuild their network so that the media <laughs> had their own exchange. And luckily, we had enough people on the, on the staff that were involved in that. But then while that was fun, the 96 Telecom Act changed everything. And yep. I was recruited back to Syracuse, where I ran promotions and marketing for WSYR, HEN, and Hot 107.9. And I was working with Ed Lacombe. And in 97, I was uh, consulting for Metro Media again. They were looking to expand into other markets. And then I moved to Lexington, Kentucky with J-Corps. And um, everyone's like, mm. why are you going to Lexington? But it was an opportunity to be close to corporate J-Corps at the time because J-Corps corporate was up in, in Covington and Lexington wasn't too far away. This the Randy Michaels days? This was the Randy Michaels days, yeah. And I worked okay. with Nick Miller, who ran marketing, national marketing and promotions at J-Corps. And then I ended up uh, leaving Lexington. I ran their cluster there, marketing promotions there, and I took a corporate gig with J-Corps. I moved to Chicago in 99, uh, was working for Critical Mass Media, which was doing you know, music testing and uh, music research uh, for radio stations, and then was tapped to basically figure out, hey, we've got all these radio stations. We've got 1,200 radio stations that came together under Clear Channel, which mm -hmm. is now the predecessor for iHeart. Uh, what do we do with them? And so I learned digital really quick overnight and I learned ad tech and I learned how to use ad servers. And when they first came to me and said, oh, we want you to run ad traffic. I'm like, you mean the place that we hide those people that work for accounting, they hide them underneath the stairs? <laughs> the trolls? Yeah, like the, those guys. Now, you know, like they used to come into the studio with the log books and check off, you know, what ads played. And they're like, no, 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 it's digital. It's different. And it is different. And I, I use that to kind of really kind of like propel my digital career. And I, I spent, you know, 15 years in the digital space and the, in the travel business, uh, six years at orbits.com running ad ops and marketing operations. And then nine years um, at GoGo doing the same, running content operations. Then the pandemic hits, everything stops. No planes are flying, more planes sitting on the ground than flying, and I mm -hmm. lost my job at GoGo. 
But through the power of networking, I reconnected with a, an industry colleague who was just appointed CRO of TuneIn. And he knew me from my travel days in digital, but he didn't know that I had an, a background in radio. And that led to an opportunity to do some consulting work. And then in August of last year, I became vice president of operations. So I oversee a team that's focused on ad ops, content ops, customer support for both listeners and broadcasters. And it's great. I mean, working for TuneIn is full circle in my digital audio career. Yeah. I've never left audio. It's always been there. It's always been something I love. But I grew disenfranchised like a lot of folks with the radio business when I left in 2005. I mean, that telecom act brought me back in into the local media, but it also changed everything. But I don't believe radio has ever died. And I think right now, I believe audio is having its renaissance moment. And I think that the future is bright for right radio and audio. And I'm really optimistic on where the future is going. You're right. Radio is not dead. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was laid off in my first uh, Clear Channel gig in Burlington, Vermont in 2006, I get a phone call from a Syracuse number and I answer it. And it's Rick Wright to give me a pep talk. Yeah. And he very famously said to me, Jag, radio is not dead. And the way he said it always stuck with me. But obviously, there's been a lot of consolidation. A lot of really talented folks have lost their jobs, particularly at the larger companies right now, whose names we won't have to mention here. But what is your perspective on what radio needs to do to really come back in the years to come? I think you need to think of radio beyond the typical geography and the limitations of a tower and a coverage map. Mm -hmm. I think historically local radio has always thought in those terms, right? Like, I think radio has evolved beyond the tower and the antenna. Wi-Fi is still radio. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I joked that when I was working at GoGo, I was still technically working in radio because we use cellular technology, satellite technology to get a digital signal to an airplane traveling at 500 miles an hour. Right. Well, at TuneIn, we're different. We don't own local radio stations or towers. We don't compete in the local market. But we're a distribution and discovery platform for live streaming and audio and sports and news and music and everything. But we're global. I mean, we have 75 million active users. Um, we have over 100,000 owned and operated partner radio stations in our directory. Like, that's amazing. When you think about the sheer volume, I find radio stations, this is the fun part of my job, I find the coolest radio stations around the planet because I have access to them. But everyone does. Like, anyone that has the ability to download our app and explore can learn about radio and, and learn about different places. I think some of the powerful things that come from that is when you move beyond borders and start to think of radio in a different way. I look at like some of our partners and the folks that we work with, we're helping them to help monetize and reach audiences in ways they've never thought of before. I'm working with stations in Mexico City that have big audiences in the United States. Hmm. Because there's a huge Hispanic population in the US, they are tuning into those radio stations. Unfortunately, they're hearing ads and commercials for products and services that are you know local to Mexico City. So right. what we're able to do is take their stream, split that up and geographically restrict it. So they control the advertising messages in their local market, but we help them monetize outside of their market. So now they can open up new revenue channels that they've never had before. You know, you can't have a sales team in, in every part of the globe, but you can with with the power of distribution and platforms. I think radio stations need to all, you know, they need to serve their local market, especially the FC 
FCC rules are in place, and, and I think that that's critical. But there is such an opportunity for you to think beyond your borders. We have a lot of fun stories around, like, there was a, a presidential election that was happening in, I think, like, Venezuela or somewhere somewhere down in South America. And we mm-hmm. saw a huge uptick in listening in New York City, in the New York metro area. And we're looking at our dashboards and, like, something wrong here? Like, did someone hack into our system? Turns, <laughs> it turns out there's a huge Venezuelan population in New York that was concerned about what was going on back home. And they were tuning in to listen to see what was going on in their local market. So if you start to think about it in that way, the power of audio is just incredible. That's what I I love about what I do now is I'm not tied to a corporate radio company and towers, but we work with all of those corporate radio companies. We partner with them. We help them monetize. And I look at radio as it's evolving you know, if you're a radio station right now, you need to be thinking about where your distribution is. You need to be thinking about where you can be heard because I'm making a prediction that's just me talking. I believe that the AM dial and the AM signal will go away. Yeah. I think it'll be repurposed for Wi-Fi and connected 5G or whatever. They'll leverage that bandwidth for something else, but it'll still be able to carry radio signals, right? It'll still be able to stream your audio from anywhere. And you know, the growth of podcasting is just incredible. I'm still overwhelmed. Like people to keep saying, oh, you got to listen to this podcast or watch that podcast. <laughs> and podcast discovery is a big challenge, I think, right now. And, you know, video didn't kill the radio star. And I don't think that um, the Telecom Act killed the radio star because those radio stars are showing up in podcasts and they're doing their own thing and they're doing it without restrictions. And, and so I think if you're a radio station right now, it's looking at your distribution. How do you get into the electric cars? How do you get into Tesla and Rivian? who are shipping their vehicles without AM radios, or in some cases without FM radios. Uh. Tesla doesn't even ship with a satellite radio option. So your only choice is internet-enabled radio. Wow. I didn't even know that. What is TuneIn doing in the podcast space versus the uh, radio space? So around the discovery piece is something that, that we're really focused on. What do I listen to, right? Like, well, I like true crime. I like this. I like sports. But what do I listen to? And so I think giving people some samples, we're starting some 24-7 podcast channels, which is mm-hmm. pretty exciting. We're working with Believe and uh, a few others in that space to kind of like put some stuff out there that's different. But then we're also taking a lot of stuff, like if we came up with a a true crime 24-7 channel, you'd have a bunch of different podcasters from different places. So people get a sample of what to listen to. And they might say, oh, I really like that guy and that podcast. Or, oh, I really like the partnership over here. I listen to this podcast out of Hawaii. Um, It's Ghost Lore of Hawaii. Oh, wow. It's one I enjoy. And I've got, I I actually connected with the host of that show and uh, loved the podcast. But that's a great example of the power of this meeting those hosts are accessible they're all on social media and you can ask questions and, and so the interactive model is still there but i think the, the biggest challenge is discovery you know how can tune in as a company help people decide what they want to listen to my wife and i are obsessed with hawaii we've only been there three times but i know you've got a house out there one of these times you and i will meet up uh, in, in the rainbow state for sure big fan of the big island that's our place So, Mark, you talked about content and really content being the king, and that really comes back to a lesson that I think we all learned at WJPZ, right? Absolutely. I I look at some of the morning show folks that were there in my era and what they're doing now, and some of them are doing some amazing work in different industries, but what I think really sets WJPZ apart, and I was kind of thinking about this today, I have the best thoughts in the shower. That's where my best ideas come from. You are not the first guest to say that. But I was in the shower and it sparked to me, you know, I, everyone from WJPZ is not only just a Syracuse alum, they're part of our big orange radio family, but I 
would like to point out that our alums aren't always from Newhouse. Yeah. We attract students from the legal school, from the business school, from Whitman, you know, from different parts of the university, engineering. And I think that's the piece that makes that dynamic interesting because not everyone is there to go become the next sportscaster. Um, you know, some people are just very interested in media from a different angle. And I remember several um, students that we had during my era that, you know, we're in the engineering school and then we're also the engineers at the radio station because they got some practice and they got some real world experience. But back to that content thing, I think that learning how important content is to the consumer and learning what it is to create a product is not something that a lot of people have that opportunity. You, you have the textbook examples of how products are made and created, but to actually do that in a real world situation is something that is very unique to WJPZ. And I do want to point out that Z89 alums have infiltrated the SU Alumni Association. So you've got Chris Velarde, who's now employed by the university alumni office. Um, he serves as director, I think, digital inter entertainment or engagement and communications. But I spent 10 years as a director in the issue uh, Alumni Association. My wife and I actually used to host a new student send off uh, for all the, the students going in the fall to Syracuse from the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on this, but I might have been one of the first Z89 alums to become president of the National of Alumni the, Association. Yeah, the Syracuse University Alumni Association, the larger group, right, yeah. And I served as a member of the Board of Trustees during my tenure there. Ryan McNaughton, who I uh, recruited to the board, uh, now serves as the current president of the Alumni Association. And, and get this, the next president-elect is Peter Giannisini, class of 94, who's major market, big shot over at ESPN. And Peter and I get to work together because professionally, TuneIn and ESPN have a partnership. So we get to talk every now and then. I also get to work, and this is the best part of being in this business, I get to work with other big shots like Howard Deneroff um, at Westwood mm -hmm. One Sports. So it's not just the Newhouse Mafia and the WJPZ family that we talk about, but it's amazing walking into a meeting sometimes with SU and JPZ alumni sitting across the table from you, and then your coworker's like, oh, you know all these people? And it's like, yeah, we went to school together. Even if we didn't go to school at the same time, we're all like friends and colleagues, and we all have that connection. So the SU has been the center, you know, it's been a huge part of my life. Um, my wife is a fellow SU alum. She was not a JPZer, but she certainly tolerates the the craziness of, of Z89 <laughs> alums. So did you meet her at school or later? So we met in Chicago. So I, I moved to Chicago. I didn't know anyone. And I was like, all right, well, they have an alumni association here and they have an alumni club. So I reached out and my wife was the social chair uh, of the alumni club. And I was supposed to RSVP for the, they were doing like an annual dinner, um, having some alums speak at the dinner. And I was supposed to RSVP and I did, but I forgot to check whether I wanted chicken or beef. And she had to call <laughs> me. And that conversation turned into you know, checking what meal I wanted to like an hour long conversation. And we're like, we knew all the same people. So it's funny. We knew all the same people. We, went, we graduated the same year, but we didn't actually meet at Syracuse. We met after Syracuse. Oh, wow. That's a great story. Yeah. Before we wrap up, Mark, you've, you know, you've already answered all the questions I was going to ask you, except one, which is give me a funny story that you remember from your time at the station. Oh my God. So many funny stories. On the morning show, we, we, would, we would have a sober awareness or a drunk intoxication awareness thing. <laughs> and I remember this time, I think it was Goofy Betty and Kid Michael Rock, and there may have been a few others. They were all of 21. They were all drinking age. And they, they had a bartender that was getting them drunk. And then they actually did this whole like safety thing of why. And they were we had the sheriff's department there. So it was funny, but it was also educational at the same time. But 
they were just uh, out of control. And I think the other thing that um, that I think about too is just that connection. We worked hard, we play hard. And so like, even though we were doing a, an educational thing, we had fun at the same time. I look at Z89 was my first fraternity. I was in a fraternity at Syracuse, but you know, Z89 was definitely my first. And the 507 parties were legendary. There was this time that we stole a giant 93Q banner from the New York State Fair, and it became <laughs> a slip and slide at 507 University Avenue. And those, I thought those parties were more wild than the fraternity parties, but <laughs> it was a team of, of like-minded media folks, and we just liked to have fun, and we worked hard. I mean, I remember working through breaks and you know even though i was local i didn't you know i didn't travel much but a lot of people stayed back for breaks and i remember there was one year i had big daddy and um neon dion at my house for thanksgiving or, or for christmas one year and it was just a blast you know like making those connections and lifelong friends it's it's just incredible that 507 university house has come up a couple of times in the podcast that was like passed down throughout the years from various students to others right it was and then i think they ended up like tearing the building down or the lease got you know something happened and <laughs> that era ended. But for a number of years, the 507 parties were like the place to be. So it was like, you you, you know, non-radio folk could get in if you knew the secret handshake. Yeah, you had to know somebody at the station. You had right? to know someone at the station, but it wasn't like it was open, like a fraternity party. It wasn't open to everyone. And it was off campus too. It wasn't regulated. But uh, <laughs> oh, one year they had a... Um, what do you call it? Uh, one of those super soakers filled with liquor. And oh, it was just a mess. <sighs> but the fact that we would do the crazy stuff, like just, just a lot of the stunting act antics that I don't think radio does as much anymore because it's probably illegal. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you know, taking 93Q's banner from the state fair, it, it was this giant long, it, it ran, I think, around the track. And it was at night. And I think they, I don't know who grabbed it, but someone managed to get it get it into the station uh, van and took it home and whatever. And it was, it was great. These have been some incredible stories. It's been fun taking a trip down memory lane with you, Mark, and hearing about how your time at the station really did prepare you and what you learned there to have this amazing career into radio, into digital, which, you know, we saw them merge over the last 20 or so years. It's been really interesting to hear your perspective on it. Well, it's been great to watch it evolve, right? Coming from a more traditional media background, even being away from radio for as long as I had, coming back to the audio business, it's like riding a bicycle. You don't forget. And I think one of the great lessons that came from my time at Z89 and carried into my radio career and even beyond is you learn how to be scrappy and resourceful. You know, at, at a yeah. student-run college radio station, you're operating on thin margins as it is. And even though we made some money from sponsorships, it was enough to keep the lights on and cover basic expenses. So we had to learn to do more with less and we had to be creative. And so I think that those types of skills are critical in business because just because you have a budget doesn't mean you blow through it. So I think <laughs> radio has always been scrappy and resourceful, even when I was working professionally in radio. But I think that that lesson has carried you know throughout business for me. Mark Verone, class of 95, appreciate you coming on the podcast. We'll talk to you soon and hopefully see you in March. Sounds good. Thanks, Jag. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.